Thank you, Pastor Jeff. It is uh, such an honor to be here and to share with you guys this morning. I know uh, some people get nervous when the preacher is going to sing, so that may be true the opposite this morning, since most of you here be singing. What is she doing with the microphone without the band up there? Um, but this morning, um, I'm really excited to share. Also, I don't know how many of you guys know this, but Pastor Nick and Pastor Trevor and I actually all went to college together. So I think both of them are nervous that I'm going to share some stories from our college days because I knew them when they were single and trying not to be, if you know what I'm saying. So I'm just going to let, just let that sink in for a second and see if they, uh, they're a little bit nervous about that. But this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to take a journey. And everybody, I'm sure, in this room, obviously, have taken journeys, whether they're short journeys, whether they're long journeys, whether they have been impactful in some sort of way, or you made an impact on on someone during that journey. But this morning, the journey that sticks out to me that is one of the most impactful in my life, for sure, was a journey down a mountain. Now, most people, when they talk about going on mountain trips, share about the trip up the mountain, but mine's about going down the mountain. And about six or seven years ago... Me and several of my friends set out on a trip to the mountains to celebrate a good friend of mine's birthday. And when we got there, we were so excited. One of the friend's parents had a house on top of this mountain, and we had all these plans. We were going to be snowboarding for a couple of days, and then we were just going to be celebrating there, hanging out. And then hopefully, uh, as we got to enjoy that time together, we were going to get to go to Greenville and have this big surprise birthday party to kind of end the whole trip. And so when we get up there, we're always wanting it to snow, right? We're from Columbia. It never snows here. And so we're hoping for like like a little bit of snow. And it snowed, it snowed a little bit. We're like, oh, this is awesome. And so the first day we got there, we said, hey, we're going to set out and we're going to go, uh, we're going to go snowboarding at the ski resort, which, have we got any snowboarders in the room? Skiers? Okay, there we go. I always, I wanted to snowboard and um, it was really fun. We set out to do that. We enjoyed the day for the most part. And we just started noticing it's snowing a little more and a little more and a little more. And eventually the person uh, at the ski resort comes over the loudspeaker and actually says, if you do not drive a four-wheel drive vehicle, you need to leave the mountain. So at that point, we're like, oh, I get, it must be snowing a lot. This isn't good. I don't have a four-wheel drive vehicle. Let's get out of here. So we end up leaving. And as we're leaving, journeying back to the cabin we were staying at to go up to that mountain, we realized as we were driving, it really has snowed a lot. So much so that I'm having trouble actually getting up the mountain. And so we make the decision, hey guys, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep driving. Why don't we just park it on the side of the road on this little kind of little crevice ditch and let's just hike to the house and we'll just worry about the car tomorrow. So that's what we did. We had all of our snowboard gear on, so it wasn't a big deal. So we started up the mountain to the house and we stayed there overnight and we wake up the next morning. And when we wake up, it had snowed so much, and we were like, what are we going to do? Because the weatherman was coming over the station saying, like, hey, it's supposed to be so much snow here throughout this day that if you stay where you are, you're going to be stuck for potentially the next four to five days. And nobody's trying to be stuck in a cabin without a lot of food, am I right? So I was like, we're, we're not staying up here, and we got to get to Greenville. we got to get to this party. So I convinced the group, let's just go to the car, let's dig it out as much as we can, turn it around, and let's just drive down the mountain really slow, we'll be fine, get to Greenville, enjoy the party. So 
I think reluctantly, everyone else agreed to this. So we all set out, we went down, we got to the car, and it really had snowed a lot all around the tires and everything. So we get to work. So I'm sitting in the driver's seat. The door is open because we're trying to talk about, hey, how's it looking? Let's do this. And just little by little, I would take my foot off the brake, and it would just a little bit and stop, and just a little bit and stop. And we kept doing this and kept doing this. I'm like, this is going to take forever. And then finally, someone decided, hey, let's just open the back of the Jeep, and let's all sit back there to put some traction on the tires. So that way, when you let off the gas, the whole thing can start moving at once. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. So the three of them get in the back, open the trunk. I'm in the driver's seat. I have the door open so we can talk, and I'm just looking to make sure if I need to make an exit, I can. And then as we were doing that, it actually started working. So little by little, it started kind of getting out of the groove. And at some point, it took off a little bit and got out of the groove at the perfect time. And I said, oh, good, good, good. So I put my foot on the brake. Only when I put my foot on the brake, for some reason, it started speeding up. I was like, oh, this isn't good, this isn't good. So in a panic, I took it and I put it in drive and the car still started to speed up some. And I'm like, well, this definitely isn't a good situation. I'm definitely in a panic at this point. So I decide I'm just going to turn the car off. So I turn the Jeep off only to realize that it continues forward in a very fast motion down this windy mountain road. In front of me, there's two options. Option number one, there's a cliff not a good option. Option number two, there's a cute little mountain cabin. And as I was sitting in the car with the door open, thinking about the situation very quickly, as I'm headed down this mountain, there was only one choice that I could make. And I didn't want to leave my friends behind, so I just remember yelling, jump, as I barrel rolled out of the vehicle into the snow. And when I did this, everybody else in the car also jumped off the back looking around and we all looked up and realized the Jeep go, went down the mountain and crashed right into someone's kitchen. And at that moment, I was like, this is not a good situation. And it was a very expensive situation to fix later on. And I didn't know what to do because nobody would come up there because it was raining so much. I mean, snowing so much. No one would come up there. The emergency vehicles wasn't anything. And so I did the right thing. and wrote a little handwritten note. <laughs> they weren't home, by the way. I said, I'm really sorry. I have insurance. Please call me when you find this. Okay. And I left it there. And some really nice man ended up giving... Um, giving us a ride on his four-wheeler down to the bottom of the mountain. And that was a journey that I definitely was not expecting to make. And it was one that I would say I had an impact on something more than it had an impact on me. And my poor parents hearing that story are still cringing as they sit out there when they got that phone call. It was was not a good one. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about a family that takes a journey. And a lot of our story today has to do with journeying. Some of it uncertain, some of it risky, some of it unknown, but we see people that set out to new places. We see people that go back to old places, and in this story, we learn that even in the midst of uncertainty, there are things to be learned as we travel along life's road and life's journey. So to kick us off, we're going to look at the the first chapter in the book of Ruth. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen as I read along. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 
In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. Now, a couple things right off the bat that the writer of this book wants us to know. He says, hey, this story actually takes place during the time when the judges ruled. And if you don't know any about anything about that history, feel free to look back in the book right before Ruth, the book of Judges, and it gives this entire account of what was actually happening to the people of Israel during this time. But nothing sums it up better than the very last verse of that book. It says this, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This was a dark time for God's people. It was an unstable time for God's people. They didn't have the leadership or things in place that would have been able to handle a severe famine that hit the land. And so we see this family choose to leave Bethlehem and travel to Moab. Now, for the sake of time this morning, we don't have, a, have the time to go into why this would have been seen by many as a risky move or not smart or great move, because Israel and Moab actually had a bad history with each other. This would not have been something that would have really been that encouraged, but Elimelech decided, hey, we're, we don't have any food here. We need to leave Bethlehem. We need to head to Moab. There's actually a future there. There's actually a place we can start over, and that's what we're going to do. And so they went out to live in Moab. And the story picks up in verse 3. It says this, Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Now, we don't know the situation surrounding this. The writer doesn't go into those details, but we do know this. The picture turns quickly to Naomi as this woman who has traveled with her family, left Bethlehem, settled in Moab, and for some reason lost her husband and ended up losing both of her sons. Both of them got married, but even during the 10 years of marriage that they had, neither one of them had children. So we find Naomi in the worst possible scenario that she could have possibly been in. You see, being a woman during this time period, her family would have meant everything. And to lose a husband and both sons and no children to be had during that time actually meant she lost her provision. She actually would have lost the way that she would have been taken care of. I mean, how is she going to start over from a situation like this? Where does she go from here? And we see Naomi in a very dark situation. When I was eight years old, I experienced my first hurricane. It was Hurricane Hugo. I'm sure a lot of people in the room remember Hurricane Hugo, but I remember my family saying, hey, we're going to go and stay at Nanny and Papa's house because our house probably would not have survived very well if we were staying there. It would be a little more dangerous. They had a brick house, so we went there. And so when we were there, I remember what it was like, like getting ready for like this hurricane. As my parents talked about you know, the story, like, oh, you know, the storm will come. The winds are going to be really strong. And, you know, I'm terrified. I'm eight years old, and I'm like hearing the wind pick up. I'm like, what in the world is going to happen? And I remember as we were there, 
watching the news station, watching everything that was going down, they said, uh, we're all going to sleep in one room together. And so my mom made this big pallet in the middle of the floor in a room in the middle of the house that had no windows. And so we went to sleep just wondering, like, what, what's this going to be like? You know, what's, how bad is the storm going to be? And I'll never forget the panic that I woke up in. It was the middle of the night. I wake up, and I literally could not see my hand in front of my face. I mean, it was pitch black. The power had gone out. And I'm just starting to just get really worried. And I'm calling for my mom. I'm calling for my mom. And so I remember I'm trying to, like, step around. I'm stepping on, I guess, what ended up being my brothers as they were sleeping. But I'm stepping on them. I'm trying to feel my way around because I don't know what happened in the middle of the night. All I know is I went to bed safe, feeling secure. I wake up, and everything seemed dark and dreary. And what am I going to do? And I'll never forget that feeling that I had as I was in there trying to find my way out because I remember looking down a hall and I remember seeing the smallest light, just like a little glimmer of light. And it was everything I could do as I reminded myself, I am not taking my eyes off of this. I don't care who I'm stepping on. I don't care what walls I'm running into while I do it. I'm going to hold on to that and I'm going to follow, follow, follow that light. And that's what I did. I remember even like crawling over some piece of furniture as it was happening because I was not going to get lost in this darkness. And I followed it down the hall through the front door to my grandpa's motorhome that he'd pulled up because that's where my family was, as they were watching news on the storm. And this small light from that motorhome led me out of where I was. See, sometimes it just takes the little glimmer of hope, something that's just going to give us a little bit of hope and confidence to get us out, even though we can't figure out what is going on around us. And that's what we see with Naomi this morning. In the midst of this absolute broken situation, in the midst of this really, really dark time, where what is she going to do? She's a widow. She has two daughter-in-laws. Like, what, what are they going to do? How are they going to start over? How is she going to start over? But in the middle of that difficulty, we do see a glimmer of hope. Let me pick it up in verses 6 and 7. I love this. It says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah, by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. The thing that I love about this, and if you just read over it really quick, you can miss it, is that it said Naomi heard what the Lord was doing while living in Moab. You see, Moab would not have been a place that would have been known for the works of the Lord. It was a place that did not follow the God of Israel like Naomi and her family did. And here she is getting word in this distant land that, hey, God's at work. The place where you left because of the famine, he showed up. He's blessing. He's providing for people. And I say that because I think it should be an encouragement to us because every one of us have gone through difficult seasons and, and it's really, really easy, isn't it, when things are really hard and things are really low to talk about how we need the Lord? We need God to show up. I mean, I'm going through a hard time. I'm going through a hard time. But for some reason, it's hard for us to testify about how good God is when things are going well. Or to tell somebody about the things he's done when he has shown up and done something. We just tend to say, oh yeah, I'm glad things are good. 
But I want to remind us this morning the importance of sharing who God is to you even during the times when things are going well because your testimony about who God is during your season of provision can bring hope to someone during their season of pain. I'm going to say that again. Your testimony about who God is during your season of provision, when things are good, when you feel blessed, when everything seems to be going exactly how you wanted it to, you testifying about that could be the very thing that's going to speak hope and life to someone who is just going through a season of serious pain. And that's what we see with Naomi. She gets this word to head back or that she can head back. And so she decides that she is going to get on this road to Bethlehem, back home, back to provision, back to where God is doing something, and she's going to take her two daughter-in-laws with her. Now, this journey from Moab to Israel, to Bethlehem, would not have been an easy journey. In fact, they say it would have taken at least 7 to 10 days. It was 30 to 40 miles. And at one point, you would have to travel down, cross over the Jordan River, and over time, cross back up and go 2,000 feet in elevation to get to Bethlehem. This would not have been a safe journey or an easy journey because, remember, it's the time of the judges. There's no king in Israel. It's unstable. It's dark. It wouldn't have been that very wise to travel during this time, especially three widow women. Now, my mama made me watch enough Dateline, Investigation Discovery, and Lifetime movies to know this is not a good idea. Anybody else have a mama like that? Like, hey, I watched this show. This girl went and got gas at the gas station by herself. It did not turn out well. I'm like, mom? I mean, I'm a grown woman. I might have to get gas by myself sometimes, you know? But this is a situation that would not have been a good situation for them to be in. But it was so important. This was such a glimmer of hope to Naomi that, hey, we're going to do whatever we have to do. We're packing our bags. And we're going to where we hear that the Lord is at work. And when they set off on this journey, it was really uncertain. Like, what was it going to be like? We don't have all those details. The details we do have is this, which is interesting. At some point in the journey, Naomi actually tried to convince Orpah and Ruth, hey, turn back. Hey, this, this is not... This is not going to be an easy trip. It's not going to be an easy thing for you two girls to come and settle in Israel. I mean, you're going to be foreigners there. This is not going to be a good situation. Why don't you turn back? May the Lord bless you. Maybe may he just provide for you. You can start over somewhere else. But the scripture paints a scene for us of them being so emotional. Naomi, we're sticking with you. We're going with you. They've all been through such a tragic situation, losing these people and their family. But these girls say, we're going with you. We're going with you. But that wasn't even enough for Naomi. Naomi continues on and says, no, 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 no. You guys have got to go back. Go back to your mother's house. Go back to where you can start over. You can actually have a family like Mary again. Start over. Go back to your gods. Go back and do that. There's hope for you there. There's no hope with me. I mean, I... I'm someone who has been cursed, basically, at this point. I have nothing. I have no provision. I don't even know what I'm going to. I'm just going back because I heard that the Lord is at work. Don't come with me. And this is what we learn from the responses of the two girls. With Orpah, she gone. That was enough, Naomi. I heard you. 
I heard you. This does not sound like a good situation. I am going, I'm going to go back and start over. I'm, I'm not going to travel on. But you know what? The, the scripture actually doesn't speak negatively for Orpah making that decision. What it does instead is it beautifully contrasts it. It beautifully contrasts it with what Ruth's response was. And it's a response I'm sure so many of you have heard. So many of you have heard before. It says this. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. I mean, Ruth was a strong-willed woman, y'all. We got any strong-willed women in the house this morning? Some guy just pointed to the lady next to him. That was, that was not a good idea. That's not going to work out well for you. Yeah, she was a strong-willed woman. She was very determined. She was set in her mind that she was going with her no matter what, no matter the cost, no matter what it meant. I'm sticking with you. Stop asking me, Naomi. I'm going back with you. You're the one I'm going to follow, and whatever that means, I'm willing to take that on. And I'm not going to unpack that this morning because Trevor's actually going to get to all that next week. But we see this incredible commitment for her to stick it out. And so we continue on the passage in verse 19. It says this. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was stirred by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? I mean, this woman left at least 10 years ago. She set out on this journey where she had a husband, she had two sons, the future looked bright for her, and here she is coming back, having dealt with such tragedy, lost a husband, lost two sons, and here she comes, beaten down and worn down and discouraged and probably feeling pretty hopeless at this time, but guess what? She came back, and these women are like, is this really Naomi? I mean, this had to be the talk of the town is this really Naomi? Now imagine how hard it would have been for her to go back. I mean, when you leave somewhere and you set out and you think it's going to turn out a certain way for you, and it doesn't turn out the way you thought it was going to, that's hard. It's hard to go back and face old people in old circumstances, but guess what? Sometimes God takes us back to an old place in order to do a new thing. Some God, sometimes God takes us back to old faces and familiar places. He takes us back to circumstances that maybe we don't really want to show up to, but he takes us back there because God is all about doing a new thing. And guess what? Naomi couldn't see that. There's no way she could have seen that. She's shown up in this place where she was known for something years before, and now she's back, and she's had a tragic situation happen. And here she is. She's got this daughter-in-law. Tagging along with her. And they show up. And things are just so hard. And people say, it seems like she is not the same person. In fact, it says in the scripture when people call her Naomi, she says, don't call me Naomi. Because Naomi means pleasant. She says, call me Mara. It means bitter. So the Lord has made my life bitter. My Naomi is 
in a place where she's asking, how can I start over from this? In verse 21, this is how she described her situation, which is so interesting. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. This was her perspective, which is interesting, isn't it? Because didn't they leave because they were empty and hungry and in the middle of a severe famine? But it says from her perspective, she went away full and has returned empty. See, to a woman during that time, everything about her life and her provision would have been because of her family and the hope she had in her family and to be taken care of. And here she is saying, I left full and I've come back empty. She's saying, I left married, I left secure, and I've come back widowed and poor. And here she is facing these people in the situation which had to be so hard and so uncertain. But this is what we know. We know that God does some of his best work in the midst of our uncertainty, right? That God's faithfulness does not depend on whether we're certain about him being faithful. That God's going to show up and be faithful even if we're sitting there going, I don't really know. I don't really know what's going to happen. And aren't we thankful for that this morning? That God is at work in ways behind the scenes that we can stop and say, oh, I did not know that is what God was up to. But God is faithful in the midst of whatever circumstance that we could possibly face. And we know that to be true this morning as we look at the life of Naomi. And this is how we know it. We're only covering chapter 1 and looking at the situation. But I want us to look at how it ends, and then I want us to look at something in the New Testament really quick. The very last verse in this chapter, it actually says this. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. I think it's interesting that it it calls her that in that part. Accompanied by her, the young Moabite woman, because this is what we know. The very first chapter in the New Testament, it starts like this. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. And it goes all through this lineage. And to not bore you today, I won't read all of it, but I will skip down to verse 5. It says this, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth, the Moabite woman. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And if you read down, you see that through this lineage is where Jesus, the Messiah, came into the world. And may we be confident this morning that no matter what story, no matter what tragedy, no matter what circumstance we may be in today, we can have confidence to know that God is at work redeeming, bringing stories together for his glory, and making things and beautiful pictures way better than we ever could have thought for ourselves. As Pastor Jeff mentioned, uh, before I came here and joined the staff, which I love the staff and I love the team that I get to work with here, but before that, I worked at a church in town, and I worked there for seven years right out of college. And I loved it, and I was doing student ministry. I was doing a little bit of music stuff, but I mainly did like teaching, student stuff, led mission trips and all that. And 
about, I guess, probably four or five years into it, I got really involved with doing music stuff because I'd never done like a lot of music stuff before then. And so I started leading worship with like the student ministry more and more and more. And every once in a while, they let us lead in big church, as they would call it. You know, we got our band, the youth band gets to play in big church today. You know, it was very exciting. And so uh, well, we would do that. And I remember during that last year specifically that I was there, I just began to sense that God was calling me to shift out of student ministry and to focus a lot more on worship which my job there was student ministry, but I got to do all this worship stuff. So I'm like, this is perfect. This is awesome. And I would stay up like really late at night, and my roommates did not love me for this, and I would like be working on music and thinking on music. It was probably really annoying. Always singing, started writing songs, started doing all of this stuff, and eventually I really said, hey, I feel like God's really calling me to this. So I started working on this album, working on the CD, and I was like, this is really exciting because I'm going to get to share these songs and these stories with all these people that I've led, like in student ministry there and with the church. I'm so excited to see what God's going to do. And then one day, I was at work and I was playing the piano in the, in the choir room there. And I was working on a song. And I'll, I'll never forget, the pastor at the time, he'd only been there like a month. We had gone through a really, really difficult time and season as a church. But he walks in and he says... Christian, we have some really bad news. We've actually had to eliminate your position because of the financial difficulties that we're facing. And I will never forget the feeling that overwhelmed me in that moment because it was a feeling of anxiety, fear. How am I going to start over from this? I mean, what, what do I do now? I've been working on this music. I felt like God's calling me to do this. And here I am being told, in the place you think you're going to do that, you will no longer be employed. And I remember that feeling, and the church honored me so well. They did. It was a, it was a good situation. They took care of me for a while. But I remember my initial response in my heart was like, I'm going to call my mama. <laughs> but I didn't. The very first thing I did was I got up in tears, walked down to the student room, and I sat on the stage in our student room, and I remember sitting there, and I just wept, and I praised God and said, God, thank you for every opportunity, for every relationship that was formed here, for every student I was able to teach, for every song I was able to lead, for every student I was able to meet with and disciple and talk about their life. Thank you for every opportunity, and I pray that you'll help me trust you in the next season. And I'll say the next season was so hard for me. I mean, it was a really hard time. I mean, months and months were going. I'm like, what am I going to do? But the interesting thing was, is that about a month before I lost my job, Trevor, who we went to college together, he had called and said, hey, do you mind um, helping me out with the worship for student ministry? This was back when it met in the chapel. I said, do you mind helping me out some on Sunday nights? I really need somebody to help okay, I'll try to see what I can do. And so I helped a couple times. And then when I got the news that I had lost my job, Trevor convinced me, he said, Grishmarie, I want you to come apply for this job here. I'm like, well, what job is it? There's no job opening for what I would do. And he says, no, I want you to come apply for the children's music job. Okay. I don't children's music. That's all. <laughs> That's my response. I don't know what to do with that book. But... He said, I just want you to come. I want you to come. It's going to be good. It's just, just, just meet Chris Carver, who's the HR director here, and Jack Warren. Just, just meet with them. I'm like, okay. And I remember I came to this interview. Y'all, I was so embarrassed. 
like, I, I mean, I don't even want this job. I'm just showing up like, hey, I don't know what I'm going to say. And I walked in with my guitar. I remember walking down that hall in the other building to Jack's office, sitting down and them saying, uh, so what would you do with this, this book of music? And I literally said, I don't know, because I can't read music. I do everything by ear. And it was very apparent within several minutes of the interview that they said to me, this is probably not going to be a good fit for you. Um, And I'm like, I know that, because somebody told Trevor Miller that. And through those few moments, I remember Chris Carver said, why don't you just get your guitar out and sing us something? Uh, To a singer, this is really awkward, right? I'm like, okay. I remember I get my guitar out. I remember thinking about the song I was going to sing and I began to sing give me faith give me faith to trust what you say and it was a season for me like I had to believe that and hold on to it and sing it with every ounce of faith and perseverance that I had at that moment because I literally didn't know what was next but I did and the Lord was just so gracious in so many ways to me I can't even begin to express how thankful I am for his incredible faithfulness to me. But through that, I remember Chris just said, we'll talk. And God opened a door to do student worship here within several months of that. And then eventually to do the worship threatening here, which is what my heart was, which is what I wanted to happen. But I didn't see that when I was going through this horrible season. This morning, I know this story is nothing compared to the devastation and despair that some of you are sitting in. I know some of you are sitting there thinking like, my story is a lot harder, and I know it. Naomi's story was a lot harder, but this is what we know about who God is. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're actually going through, we need to be people to cling to the hope that God is at work in ways behind the scenes that we never would have imagined. That whatever glimmer of hope you could possibly have, that you hold on to that and you keep your eyes fixed on that because you know that God is a faithful God no matter what season you're going through. And maybe, and maybe for some of you, just for you to walk through the doors today was you holding on to that hope. I mean, Naomi journeyed back to Bethlehem, worn out, stressed out, beaten down, but she showed up. And for some of you, maybe that's where you are. Or for some of you to click on the button, even watch the sermon at some point during the next week, it's you saying, I want to believe God. I want to have hope that you're at work in the midst of all of the difficult situations that I'm facing. Because he's faithful and good no matter what it is that we're facing. And so I want to invite you to stand, and this is what I want you to think about as you stand and sing this. Some of you are in a season where you feel like things are well and, oh, life's great. Maybe you need to sing out this next song about the faithfulness and the goodness of God for the person sitting down the row from you. Maybe somebody around you needs to be reminded that, oh, God is good. God's faithful. Hey, he brought me through it. He can bring you through it. Maybe that's why you sing loud this morning and believe that God can move the mountains. He can do it again. God is faithful. He is good. He continues to show up in my life. And for those of you who have a hard time singing that today, that's okay. Maybe it's everything in you to just have the words tremble across your lips that you are good. And if that's where you are, that's okay. And may we all be reminded this morning 
that no matter what it is we do face, let's be confident that He is a God who is at work behind the scenes bringing things to pass that we never could imagine. And may that be our hope this morning as we sing this out.